But I want to look at Psalms chapter 51. Psalms chapter 51 tonight. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And if you have it, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Psalm 51 in verse 1, we'll read the whole thing, 19 verses. It'll go quickly, don't worry. <laughs> but it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thy walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of the righteous, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. And if you would, stretch your hands towards heaven right now and ask that the Lord would show us and reveal what he would have us to hear from his word tonight. Lord, we love you tonight. Lord, we're grateful for your sacrifice. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Lord, we want to open up the gates of our heart tonight that the King of glory might come into them. Lord, we want the seed of your word to take root in our hearts and take root in our lives. Lord, and we want it to work outside so that we'll, we will see the outward ramifications of what you have done inside of us. Lord, let us hear your word tonight. Lord, let us respond to it. Let us not just be hearers of it, but let us be doers of your word. And we ask all these things in your mighty name we pray. Amen. And I want to talk to you, or preach to you, for just a few minutes tonight on this thought of desire. Desire. And I want to look in Psalm 51, because this is David speaking here at a, at a, at a point in his life. that He had just been through something, and then he wrote this psalm. But the Lord began to speak this thought of desire into my heart just just a few hours ago, I had another sermon that I was going to preach tonight, but then when Brother Jarvis got up this morning and was preaching on what stirs your heart, 
what stirs you. The Holy Ghost began speaking to me and, and, and showing me a different direction that he would have me to go tonight. And I want, I want to be obedient and responsive to that. And I wasn't necessarily sure if that was the route I needed to take. But as soon as I stepped through the front door of church, they were practicing choir. And the first word that I heard when they were singing was desire. My desire, passionately, is to be what you called me to be. And so I, I want to get out of the way for a moment, and I want, the, I want the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts through this vessel, if, if he would, because I feel like the Lord has something he would have us to hear tonight. But speaking on this, this, this topic of, of desire, what you desire in your life, the dictionary defines desire as something that you really want, something you really want to possess, or something that you really want to happen. And then when you relate that desire to spiritual things, obviously what we desire most in our life is we want to be able to say we desire Jesus. And if I was to ask you that question tonight, I'm sure everyone in this room would respond with a yes. But I want us to think more critically in our minds and in our hearts tonight. Is, and, and can I answer that question honestly? Can I answer that question of desire honestly? Is Jesus what I desire most in my life, or is there something else that takes his place? Is there something else that's on the throne where he should be sitting, and I've placed it there, and I no longer make him Lord of my life, and I no longer make him the desire that he should be in my life because something else is in the way now? And I want us to think critically just for a few moments tonight and really ask ourselves, is Jesus the desire of my life? What does my life say is my desire. Because the Bible, in one place, it said about Jesus, he's the desire of nations. But tonight I want to know, is he the desire of Seth Gilpin? Is he the desire of Greg Gilpin? Is he the desire of Lisa Schooley? Is he the desire of Belinda Miller tonight? Because more than anything in our lives tonight, we want Jesus to be on the forefront of our minds, to be what we desire. Amen. And looking at the life of David, talking about desire, we can look at David and see that he was somebody who desired the Lord and the Lord's presence in his life. And before we get to the text here, just a little background of David's life. Before we ever meet David, before we're ever introduced to him, before we know about his family, before we know about where he's from, before we know about what he's going to be, before we know that he's called, the Bible tells us one thing. And it's when he was the, the Lord sent Samuel to talk to King Saul, who was king of Israel at the time, because Saul had sinned against God, and God had sent Samuel to tell, tell Saul that he was not going to be king anymore. He disobeyed God. He didn't let God be the desire of his life anymore, and so he was going to strip Saul from the throne. And before we ever meet David, we don't know what he looks like. We don't know that he's going to be king. We don't know that he fights Goliath yet. All the Bible says is Samuel told Saul that God had chose him a man that was after his own heart. And that's the first time in scripture that we're introduced to danger. A man after his own heart. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? What does it mean to be a woman after God's own heart? It simply means this. Do I want what God wants? Because as God's looking out of all Israel, he's saying, I need somebody to watch over my nation. I need somebody to watch over Israel. I need somebody that I can, be tru that I can trust to be king over my nation. And he didn't look at outward qualifications. He just looked at one inward qualification. 
You want to know what qualifies you to work in the kingdom of God tonight? You don't want to know what qualifies you to do big things for God? Do you have a heart after him? Because more than anything else, God said, I need somebody who wants what I want. And I want that to be the attitude of this church. I want that to be the attitude of my life. I want that to be the attitude of your life. Do I want what God wants for me? Do I want what God wants for this church? Do I want what God wants for this city? Do I want what God wants for this nation, for this world? Do I want his heart? Where is my desire at tonight? Where is my desire at tonight? Because let me tell you, in this kingdom, desire determines everything. Your desire and your attitude towards him in this, in this kingdom will determine everything. How far you go, what you do for him, it is all going to be to the level of your desire. And now before we, get to this, before we get to this text, we need to know a little bit more about David, what David's been through. David's been a man after God's own heart. He's been called of God. He's fought Goliath. He's slew Goliath. He's rescued Israel. He's fought Many battles since then. He's been crowned king. Saul's been moved out of the way. He's been king over Israel for a couple of years now. And now it comes to a certain point in his life where the Bible describes it like this. That there was a certain time of year when the kings would go to war. But David did not. David was at home in the palace. Because he was at home in the palace, that opened him up in order to be tempted. Anytime that I've been tempted and fell to temptation in my life, it's because I've not been where the Lord wants me to. Anytime that you fell in your life and, the, and you've, you've fell to temptation, it's because you weren't where the Lord wanted you to be. And that's another sermon for an entirely other day, but that's where David's at in his life at this point. And because he's there, he walks out on the balcony of his palace where he can see out through all the land and see everything that's going down on in Israel down below him. And he walks out on the, on the balcony of his palace and he looks down and he sees a woman bathing. And that moment, lust conceived in his heart. And we, and we know the rest of the story. Bathsheba, the name of that woman, comes to the palace and there's an adulterous affair that takes place. And as a result of that adulterous affair, there's a child that's born. And in order for David to cover up what he's just done and try to not let anybody find out, he ends up murdering the husband of Bathsheba. We can all agree David's at a pretty low place in his life. David's got some pretty low desires in his life. A man after God's own heart has now fallen flat on his face. And let me tell you, maybe that's the condition that you're in tonight. Maybe you've messed up. You've not told anybody. There's nothing, there's nothing that anybody would know, but you've messed up and you've fallen flat on your face. Let me tell you, there was grace for David. There's grace for you tonight. Before I go any further, the blood of Jesus is more powerful than anything that you found yourself in, more powerful than any sin you're tied up in, more powerful than any rebellion, any temptation. The blood of Jesus is stronger tonight, my friend. And if you will look to him and you will fall on him and you will call on his name, I promise you that blood that was shed 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary is still flowing tonight, my friend. And if you could just lift your voice a little bit and cry out to him, he will meet you where you are and lift you up where you need to be tonight hallelujah can somebody give him praise for being such a great God that he is hallelujah 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 but David's fallen he's in this place and soon after it's discovered it's not it's not discovered what he's done nobody ever finds out 
But God sent a prophet to him to confront him about what he did. He sent the prophet Nathan to confront him and said, you have sinned before God. And he calls him out. And immediately, David falls on his face and repents. And as a result of what he did, this Psalm 51 is the prayer of David after his sin with Bathsheba. You say, Seth, what does that have to do with desire tonight? I thought, you were preaching, I thought you were preaching about desire and telling us something about desire. I want you to look at when David realizes how messed up his desires are, what he used to desire versus what he, desi versus what he desires now, there's a difference. Because while he's repenting, you can see things that he used to desire and things that he still desires, but now he's messed up. But let me tell you, like I said earlier, there is grace for those that have fallen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The psalm, generally, it is a psalm of repentance. It's a psalm of him desiring purity, and that's certainly what it is. And, and, and I want to get to that point, but I want to get to that last. Before that, I want to show you his position towards some other things in his life that should also be in our lives. I'm not saying we have to go through the same stuff that he did to get here, but you can see his heart as he begins to cry out, God, this is what I used to do. This is what I desire in my life, but I've fallen flat on my face, and I need you to restore that desire in me tonight. Friend, if you've lost your desire, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you can't get your desire back. And maybe there's somewhere, someone here tonight that you've lost your desire, you've lost your want to, you've lost that driving force that motivated you to do great things for God. If you could just get in his presence, I promise that desire will be restored tonight. I promise you that desire will be restored. The first thing we see is a desire for worship. In the life of the Christian, you must have a desire for worship. David says, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Verse 15, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. What's he saying? Lord, if you give me the strength just to open my mouth, I promise the next thing that comes out of it will be a thank you for the miracle that you've just done in my life. Hallelujah. And if we're going to be the people of God, if we're going to be a people of desire, if we're going to be a people whose heart is focused towards him, we have got to be a people of worship. We have got to be a people of praise. We don't walk in here on a Sunday morning and say, I wonder what they're going to sing up there. I wonder if the beat's just going to get right. And if I like it, maybe I'll worship. No, but before we ever come into this house, we've already made up our minds. I'm going to the house of the Lord today. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to give him glory. I'm going to give him praise. Why? because he's the desire of my life and I know he deserves it hallelujah he goes on to say in verses 16 and 17 that you don't desire for thou desirest not sacrifice else I would give it he says if you want that then I would give it to you but what is the sacrifices that he wants what is the Lord looking for tonight he says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart oh God thou wilt not despise Hallelujah, what's God looking for? God's looking for somebody to be broken in his presence. God's looking for somebody to be undone in his presence that's willing to worship him the way their heart really feels like it wants to worship him. Not how the people around you, how you want them to think that you worship the Lord. We don't walk in here and I got my suit and tie on and I'm going to see how good I can look this morning and worship and I'm, I'm just going to look professional about it. I'm not really going to let it out. But God's looking for somebody who says, I don't care what other people think. I don't care what's going on around me. I'm going to be willing to be broken and undone in his presence because he's just looking for a heart 
heart that's willing to be real with him. He's looking for somebody who's, who's not trying to put on a facade or put on a for, put on a face. He's looking for somebody who's willing to be undone in his presence and give him glory. David's saying, that's my desire. That's what I want. That's the place that I want to get back to. I know I fell down from it. I know I'm not where I need to be, but that's the place that I know I've got to get back to in my life. Another thing that we see in the life of David is shortly after after, after his sin and after he's been called out and after he's repented for it and the prophet Nathan comes and he, and he, and he prophesies that the child that's born is going to die. That child that had been conceived in that, in that affair is going to die. And the Bible says David began to fast and pray for that child. But then he heard some commotion going on in the palace and he knew that that child had passed on. And it says in 2 Samuel, which is the, the, the account of the account of the sin and everything that took place in 2 Samuel there. 2 Samuel 12, 19 and 20 says, But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. And David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. In the lowest place of his life, after he's fallen flat on his face, and as a result of his sin, now Bathsheba has conceived, and she's born this child, and this child has died. Her husband's died because he killed him. And now this baby that's been born, now this baby's even died. And it seems like he's at the lowest place in his life. But still, he picks himself up, washes himself, puts on his apparel, anoints himself, and goes to the house of the Lord to what? To worship. It's almost like he's saying, I don't know what else to do. I know I've messed up. I know I've fallen flat on my face, but I don't know where else to go. He knew in his mind that the only person who could restore the broken situation that he was in was God. The only person that could pick him back up out of the state that he had walked into and found himself in was if he got in the presence of God and the Lord restored him to something. And the Lord picked him back up. Let me tell you, there's a place for that in worship. If you're willing to lift him up and give him the glory that he is so, so deserving of in the good times of your life, in the bad times of your life, no matter what you're going through, no matter if you're walking in victory or you're walking in sin, if you will posture your heart and face it towards the Lord and begin to make a move towards him he can do a restoring work in your life hallelujah like the song they sang last week says from the mountains to the valleys he is good and then all my best days and worst ones he is good and from glory to glory he is good Oh, taste and see that he is good. Hallelujah. Has he been good to you tonight? Has he shown you grace when you didn't deserve it? Has he picked you back up out of somewhere that you didn't deserve to be picked at back up from? I wonder if he has because you give him some praise tonight, because you give him a little bit of glory, because you begin to practice a little bit of that worshiping desire, that worshiping attitude that we should have towards him. Lord, we want you to be what we're worshiping in our life. We want you to be the focus of our life. We want you to be the desire of our life. We want you to be the desire of our worship. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The second thing we notice, we notice that there's a desire for worship. 
That should be in the life of a Christian, but next, and, and that was in the life of David, and now that he's repenting and trying to get back to that state, another thing, there is a desire for ministry. Psalm 51 Verses 12 through 13, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. This is the prayer of somebody who has fallen, but somebody who knows that the only hope for the world is the God who is willing to forgive them. And the God that is willing to restore them. And he's saying, if you restore me to salvation, I want to tell others what you've just done for me. Because David knows if you can pick me up out of this pit that I found myself in, that I know there's somebody else out there that's in a pit of their own that they found their self in. And if you're willing to pick me up, I know you're going to be willing to pick them up too. Because let me tell you, this ain't just about David getting up, but this is about other people getting up. There's a desire inside David for God's glory to be spread and the purpose of the church is to spread God's glory if there's no desire inside this body inside my body for ministry and preaching the word and advancing the gospel then friend we have missed it entirely because it's just not about me and my family making it to heaven and it's just not about David and his family making it to heaven but every family out here in Laurel County that ain't heard the gospel yet that needs a chance to hear it why because it says when they hear it the Sinners shall be converted. And we do it all for the glory of God. Do you desire his glory? Does his glory matter to you? Does his glory have a prominent place in your life that we must spread the glory of God? For other people to know what he is, to know who he is, to know what he's done and what he can do for them. There's a desire for ministry. Here in, this, here in this text. Next, there is a desire for fellowship. Excuse me. There's a desire for, for, for fellowship. Psalm 51, verse 11. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. This is the prayer of a desperate man that knows what it's like to walk with God and also knows what it's like to fall flat on his face and what he is begging and pleading God to do in his life is not to take his presence from him. He knows what it's like to have fellowship with God. He knows what it's like to meet with him. He knows what it's like to have his spirit in his life. And he says, if there's anything else, if there's one thing that I don't want to lose for sure, it's your presence and your spirit out of my life. Have you experienced it? Could you do without it tonight, friend? Could you live tomorrow without the spirit? Could you live tomorrow without his presence? Is it a constant thought in your mind? It is a desire in your mind that I must have fellowship with him. I must have fellowship with the one who saved me. I want to have fellowship with the one who redeemed me. First John chapter 1 and verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What's it saying here in 1 John? It's saying the reason that Christ came to the earth and preached his message. 
John's saying this message that we have seen, this message that we have heard, this risen Jesus that we experienced in the message that he preached, what did he preach it for? That you would have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father. What's that message for? Us having fellowship with the Father. Let me ask you another question. When's the last time you had fellowship with him? When's the last time you had fellowship with God? Not when's the last time you came to church? Not when's the last time you opened your Bible? Not when's the last time you said, now I lay me down to sleep? When's the last time that you had fellowship with him? Because this word fellowship here in the Greek, in 1 John chapter 1, it's, it, it's koinonia. And, and it encompasses all different types of relationships and all different types of fellowships from, from just regular friendships to, to, the, to, the, to the intimate relationship that, that, that you have in marriage. But everything that it references has one thing in common. It's something that is shared. Something in common. A shared experience. You can't have fellowship with somebody if you don't share something with them. If you, 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 you can't have a good relationship with somebody if you never share your own feelings, your own thoughts, your own words. When's the last time you shared something with God? You might be saying, Seth, what in the world are you talking about? When's the last time you shared in his burden? When's the last time you shared your feelings with him? When's the last time you shared your emotions with him? When's the last time you shared your problems with him? Not that you just complained and was in his presence and telling God, I need you to fix this, 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 and this. But when's the last time you had fellowship with him to the point where you were sharing with him the most intimate parts of your life? That fellowship that we have, it says truly it is with the Father. The mark of the life of the Christian, it says right here, if we know him, we believe this message, our fellowship will be with him. We must, it must be something that we seek after. It must be something that we desire in our lives. It must be something that we press towards to have in our lives. Why? Because we know that his fellowship is the only thing that can inspire change in our lives. It's the only thing that can get us where we need to be with him. And David's realizing right here in this broken situation that he's in that my desire used to be able to have fellowship with him. But somewhere along the way, I lost that desire and I've got to get back to it somehow because I know one thing for sure in my life. I never want his presence out of my life. I never want his spirit out of my life. When I wake up in the morning, I'm looking for his presence because in his presence is the only place that I find security. It's the only place that I find hope. It's the only place that I find peace. It's the only place that I find liberty. It's when I have fellowship with him. Is your desire for fellowship. We've talked about a desire for worship, a desire for ministry, a desire for, Christ, for, for, for fellowship. And the last desire I want to talk about is the desire for purity. David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see this attitude of David all throughout the scriptures and many of his other psalms. You look at Psalm 139 and you can see a lot of the same words that he's saying here. He's saying in Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24, Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.
there's a desire for purity. Do you desire to be pure before him? Because in a lot of the American church, the purity is just shoved to the side and it's nowhere that you can find it. It don't matter what you do in the world. You can live whatever lifestyle you want. You don't have to change nothing about yourself. You can come to church and, 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 and you know what? Jesus, Jesus still loves you. You ain't got to change. You ain't got to worry about it. But I don't know what Bible they're reading because the Bible tells me in Titus chapter 2 that the grace of God has appeared to all men. And that's where a lot of people would love to stop. Yes, we got grace. We got Jesus. That's all we need. Hallelujah. But it says the grace of God has appeared to all men. What? Teaching us that we are to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Not only is there a desire for purity in somebody's life, but there is a desire for holiness in somebody's life. We are to be a holy people before God. Not just the people that are outwardly holy, a people who are inwardly holy. Jesus was talking about this subject when he was t discussing it with the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, if you were to look at them and you were just to look at the outside, you couldn't touch them. Everything that they did on the outside was blameless. There was nothing that they did on the outside that you could look at and say, oh, you're doing that wrong right there. You better stop. But Jesus began to deal with that re religiosity and, and to deal with that, 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 that legalistic spirit and said, you got to clean the inside of the outside of the cup so that the outside might be cleaned. You see David's attitude in this in this psalm. It says, purge me with hyssop, clean me, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. In the life of the Christian, there has got to be a desire for purity. There has got to be a desire for holiness for holy living, for living blamelessly and living right before him. Why? Because David knows there's something in the way. The whole reason that he wrote this song, there was something in the way that hindered his relationship with God. And he says, this is not becoming of a man who's living, who, who, who wants to live a life of holiness. This is not becoming of somebody whose desire is to, is, is to, is, is to have a desire for worship and ministry and purity and to have fellowship with God. This, there's something in my life that I've got to deal with. And because I've got to deal with it, it's got to get out of my life. Whenever you have that experience and you realize the fellowship that you can have with him and you realize, you realize that he's good and the thoughts that he has for you and the plans that he has for you are good, it should create something inside of you that says, I don't want to do anything that would hinder this relationship in my life. I want to do everything in my life that would cultivate that relationship and push me into a place where I could have a better relationship with my heavenly father. But in order to do that, we've got to move some stuff out of the way in our lives. The church has got to be baptized in holiness. This, especially in this in, in this new in this this new age, this 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 this, this new world where, where where any idea that you have, you, you know, it doesn't matter. Nobody can say about say anything about it. It's just an idea. If you have an idea, they have an idea. Let it all go. The church has got to have a new baptism in holy living, and it all starts with the posture of the heart. We got to get this heart right. We got to get this desire right. Because if the, if the desire's not right, then it's going to show on the outside. It's going to manifest outwardly in your actions and in your behavior. Why? Because there's something wrong on the inside. And David realized there's something wrong on the inside of me. You got to clean me. Renew in me a right spirit. Why? Because I need a right spirit. Because I want to have a right, right relationship. Because I don't want your presence out of my life. 
I don't want your spirit out of my life. I want you to be able to flow through me, God. I want God to be able to flow through this church and be able to flow through this body. But that spirit is not going to rest on anybody that is not living a holy life. God help us all. God help me. God help you to be people who are living lives of purity and pleasing to God. Hallelujah. Amen. And if you could come to the piano, I'm about to, I'm about to wrap up here. But if you look at these two sins, if you look at David's sin and you look at the sin Saul, Saul committed, remember that sin that I told you, Saul committed it and God said, I'm going to remove you out of the throne. I'm going to take you out of the way. I'm going to put somebody who's after my own heart in there. But before I go on to that, I got to mention this. Look at this, this chapter of repentance. This person who realizes that I've messed something up, so I've got to get back. It's, it, it, you, we've got to be able to repent before him when we know we're doing something wrong. We've got to be able to take this position of repentance. That God, I don't care what it is, I repent of it, I turn it around right now. Because what Saul did, the only thing Saul did was leave a king alive and some animals alive. That was the sin of Saul. Leaving a king alive and, the, and some animals alive. But you look at David, who had an adulterous affair, and as a result of that adulterous affair, there was a child that was born, and a husband that was killed, and a future child that was to be born that was killed. And you put the two side by side, which one do you think is worse in your own mind? It's pretty obvious, it's pretty clear which one we think in our own, our own human reasoning that we can see which one is worse. What's the difference between these two people? What's the difference between these two men? Saul never had a desire to get back right. Saul never had a desire to get back into the presence of the Lord. Matter of fact, when Samuel said, the kingdom stripped away from you, the only thing he said was, don't go away yet until the people see me worship God so the people think that I'm all right. But when David sinned, he says, God, I have sinned before you. He made it personal. Saul wanted to cover up what he was doing on the outside. The only thing he did was leave a king alive and some animals alive. But he just wanted to cover it up on the outside so that maybe people won't see what I'm really doing and, and, and it just glance over. But when David falls flat on his face, the first thing he says is, God, I've sinned against you. I'm going to anoint myself with oil. I'm going I'm to clean myself up. I'm going to put on my apparel. I'm going to go to the house of God and I'm going to worship you until I get back in right standing with you. Hallelujah. If you weren't here a couple Wednesday nights ago, there was only a few people here. So you heard me tell this story, but I'm going to go ahead and tell it again so y'all can amen me. And for all y'all that haven't heard it, you can, you can amen me with the rest of them. But there's a story of a man by the name of Robert Robin, Robinson. And he's a famous hymn writer. He wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. And Robert Robertson, he lived during the time of the first great awakening that swept through this nation. He sat under the preaching of George Whitefield, George Whitfield, and that's the man that he got saved under. He was born in revival, born again out of revival. And as a result of that, he became a pastor, he became a hymn writer, and he began to do ministry for the Lord. But even that man that was born out of revival and sat under the preaching of that great man of God that went on to be a pastor and a famous hymn writer, even that man fell flat on his face and walked away from God. And he was living a life that he knew was separate 
from him. But one day while he was out walking in the town, he began to have a conversation with this young lady who was sitting by the side of the road reading a book of hymns. And as they engaged in conversations, she said, hey, mister, what do you think about this hymn? He said, well, what hymn are you talking about? She said, come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. It was his own hymn that she began to read to him. And after that, he didn't put on his facade anymore. He, he, he got real honest about his condition. He said, actually, actually, I'm the, I'm the man that wrote that hymn. And I'm nowhere that I need to be with the Lord right now. I've walked away from him. I, I don't know if I could ever come back. That man born out of revival. A man that was a pastor. Saw souls saved. Wrote hymns. Fell flat on his face. And didn't think that the Lord would accept him back. But that young lady he, ha he was having a conversation with that day just looked over at him and said, Oh, sir, but you know these streams of mercy that you wrote about, they're still flowing today. Hallelujah. I wish I could preach to somebody tonight and tell you that the blood of Jesus is still enough for whatever you're dealing with. The blood of Jesus is still enough for whatever you're facing. I don't care what sin you're in. I don't care what you're dealing with right now. I don't care what you're doing right now that you ought not to do. If you could get in his presence tonight, he will fix your desire. He'll fix your life. He'll be able to do a restoration, a restoring work in your life. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. It's still flowing tonight. And that blood that flowed down 2,000 years ago from the cross of Calvary is still flowing tonight in this church and if you would begin to make a move towards him tonight and say God I want my desire to be you I want to have a desire for worship I want to have a desire for fellowship I want to have a desire for ministry I want to have a desire for purity I want my desire to be you Jesus hallelujah can we stand to our feet tonight hallelujah 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 Thank you, Jesus. Can, we, you, can you begin to worship him and give him praise tonight? Hallelujah. We thank you that you're meeting us here tonight, Jesus. We thank you that you're still able to save. We thank you that you're still able to restore. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. And maybe you're here tonight and you say, my desire is not what it needs to be. I'm not saying you're in any type of gross sin or you've done what David's done. I'm just saying you acknowledge in your life my desire and my posture towards him tonight is nowhere near what it needs to be and I want to fix it. I want to get my desire right. I want to begin to crave the right things. I want to be, be, begin to live the right way again. If that's you and you would say, God, increase my desire for you tonight. Would you make your way out of your seat right now in the name of Jesus and come down to this altar? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Stand, kneel, whatever you have to do. Amen. But you say, I want my desire to be right before him tonight. Could you begin to make your way towards this altar? Hallelujah, hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus.